Coffin Bond listeners, welcome back to Podcast 26. Now, I've got two new people in today. Well, not new, I had Eric last week, but welcome Tony and welcome Paul. Thank you, Jamie. Absolutely thrilled to be back on the microphone with you. I, I love being in the room. And I love being you. I love it, being you. It was. Yeah, I enjoyed my company I last week a bit. I, I enjoyed my company <laughs> last week a bit more, but look, we'll, we'll go with you two today. But look, today we want to shine a spotlight on the changes in our industry. Um, there's been a lot of media around our industry, and so we want to talk about it from our view, but we wanted to say how strategy-based advice has stood up over product-based advice. Um, and that's what's really come out of this Royal Commission, in my opinion. One of the things, um, in that sense. But I want to talk about it. That's why I've got both of our advisors in the room. But I want to talk about how you guys work strategy um, instead of product into the way we do things. So welcome. Um, and I'll, I'll put it over to you, boys. Well, I think um, there's a few things that have come out of the Royal Commission. Uh, but prior to the Royal Commission, uh, through FOFA, probably about a year and a half prior to the Royal Commission, they came out with new ethics and professionalism for our industry to actually make our industry a profession. A lot of people already do see this as a profession, but you know, uh, professions are your, your accountants, your lawyers, your medicos, as an yep. example. And um, as a result of being able to do that, probably the only thing our industry was lacking was the education, education standards. Yep. So, uh, yeah, where all the industry is back at school, and I think what's that's. I mean, um, I think what that is going to do for the industry, from forecasts and what we've seen to date, is probably within about the next four years, when everything has to be implemented, you will see probably a mass exodus. I would. I'm suggesting up to fifty percent of the industry. Well, you look at A and P; they've already cut a lot of numbers of their advisors. Those, I guess, those older one-man bands that don't really have that compliance behind them, they're going to struggle now, and they're out of the. They're getting out of the industry. Well, it's going to be impossible for the industry to join the industry and rent an rent an office and stick a shingle up, or a WeWork office and stick a shingle up and say. Um, I'm a professional financial planner. I mean, you still need that one year of, you know, basically mentorship, uh, which is fine, but the costs involved um, of running a business, a one-man show, is still, you know, well into the six figures. Um, So you can uh, want to do great by your clients. There's no issue there, and I'm sure the vast majority of people do. They do think of the client's best interest. Um, But... It's just going to be impossible to be able to service those clients economically at a cost-effective price that the clients can actually pay for if you've got you know, extraordinary overheads. As you know, we do. You're our general manager here, Jamie. You know our overheads, um, and that's to actually run the business, but to be able to provide the exceptional service. And you know what we put in in dollar figures, which was huge, to be able to increase our service standards yep. um, as well. So. I think what's going to happen in the industry is you are going to see more professionalism, but it's going to be a lot harder and the barriers to actually join the industry is going to be a lot more too. So, you know, I'm, I'm back to study. Uh, Paul's back to study. Yeah. Uh, Josh is back to study. So we all do it. You know, uh, we're in here eight till uh, nine every morning doing our study. So it's... Hey, Tom, can I ask you a question? Um, and this is coming from me who's had a different experience coming into the financial advisory industry than what you did, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, how inaccessible will financial advice become as a result of the increased requirements of us to, to be a, a qualified and professional advisor? Is, is this going to occur and is it going to put financial advice out of reach for people who need it most, do you think? Well, I think there's two parts of that. First of all, you actually do have to have qualifications to yep. be a financial planner now. 
but those qualifications uh, the bar is very very low yeah so so all the or anyone who is on the ASIC register right now as an authorized rep does at least meet those minimum requirements um, I think what's going to happen is with the cost of financial planning going through the roof you know it's and a lot of that cost is just to cover compliances a lot of firms out there that just are not profitable and where principals of those firms are not taking a decent wage, yep. you know, and I think that's the hardest part is that the cost of actually running a business now will actually make proper financial advice inaccessible for a whole heap of Australians and they will be relying on books that I totally disagree with most of the stuff that's in there. But it's, um, I think, I think what you're going to have is it's going to there's there's going to be a hell of a lot of money changing hands you know 10 trillion odd dollars over the next 20 years of changing hands through um just inheritances um in this country you know people selling businesses that are worth a lot of money and they won't know where to turn or who to go to and i think that's one of the downfalls is this industry has done a lot of good for so many people um but where do they turn who do they go to Upside though, Paul, is that the people who are left in the industry and the new people who join the industry who are mentored correctly uh, working in firms like our own, um, I think the upside for the population moving forward over the next 20 years is just going to be huge. Yeah, we talk, you talked about, I guess we were talking about, and we get onto strategy base and product base as well, and we we're talking about mm -hmm. overheads and how high they can be. And I think what happens with those ones that will focus on one product, they're able to bring their costs down because the administration side was very simple. Absolutely. Um, but when, when we look at our firm in here, we're not just putting you into the one product, essentially, if it's based on that strategy. But, you know, we need to be across a lot of platforms um, and, and that, from an administration point, can be a bit of a nightmare. Oh, it's, it's you got the administration, you got um, a lot of the compliance burden, which you know whether it's unnecessary red tape or whether it was brought upon ourselves uh, through lack of professionalism or mm. people just flogging products is is you know realistically not what I'm here to debate. Um, I think there is a lot of unnecessary stuff that has to get done by advisory firms. I'm not talking about compliance here, I'm just talking about simple things like the length of an SOA and everything that has to be covered off. But when I say unnecessary, I think at this it's, it might be unnecessary in the eyes in the eyes of the client, but from our perspective it's keeping the client fully informed um, of what they do. And unfortunately a vast majority of our industry is, you know, including uh, the banks and AMP advisors, the large groups and things like that, have not professionally serviced clients in any way. So we talk about fee for no service and things like that. There's two scenarios to that. When you worked for a bank, yeah, and really large corporates, you know, things like AMP, etc. There were a lot of fee for no service. People being charged fees for services no no longer provided because the advisor's not there or there's been no follow up, etc. What in uh, private firms like our own, um, there's a lot of those ongoing overheads uh, are covered by those ongoing fees, but simple things like, for example, the funds management. I mean, the amount of time that is spent on the client's portfolio that they actually don't see. Uh, it's just done behind the scenes. And as you know, we spend, I think it's on average, around about 60 hours to 80 hours a year just on our investment committee. 
in respect to researching and making sure our funds management is always applicable and up to date. You know, we had a meeting with BlackRock yesterday, yep. uh, Paul and I, for an hour. Um, so that there's stuff that clients I th- don't I think, actually I think see. over that, if you take in professional days and things like that, um, it's well over that 60 hours. Oh, it's, no, it's, I think we, I think we yeah. quite easily can get to 120 yeah. hours. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah. you know what, uh, speaking to a, um, a centre of influence of ours, um, one of the comments that he's made to me before is... What's ha- his occupation, that of interest? He's, he's an accountant. Accountant, yeah. Okay. Um, that you know yep. quite well. Okay. <laughs> I'd hope so, if he's a centre of influence. <laughs> <laughs> you know quite well, probably better than me. Um, his comment was, in inverted commas, I do not know how you guys find the time to consume as much information as you do. Which is true. We consume a lot of information. And this is the key, is how can a one-person show, even with a couple of support staff, survive mm-hmm. in having to consume, you know, change of legislation, change of superannuation laws. I overheard you today um, ask uh, one of our senior paraplanners in here a question about something within superannuation where they're going and doing that research now yeah. in respect to what can actually be done for a particular client, young client of yours. So that's that's the scenario where, once again, that's two hours worth of work done behind the scenes that the client doesn't necessarily see or understand. And that is due to the complexity of everything in our, in our, in our lives here in Australia, complexity of the just running a small business, yeah. never mind the complexity so, of so that, tax. And, that leads us into the whole strategy versus product. Um, yeah. And you were talking about the banks before, and I guess that when we look at the banks and, and to pick on them, that seems to be product-based advice. Well, it was because they are a product manufacturer. They bought product. Yep. MLC was an independent company once upon a time. Colonial um, and Comensure were independent companies um, at one time, and they were bought by the banks. You know, so uh, one path was originally Mercantile Mutual, which was you know bought by ANZ, and so they they went from being uh, providers of credit. Um, and deposit takers to actually owning and manufacturing product. And when you own and manufacture product um, and you run dealer groups where you're subsidizing, uh, you're, you're subsidizing the losses in the dealer group to have you know, a thousand advisors by because they're actually you're making money off the product that they're selling. Um, I think that's where the compromises come in. And I've often said this that it doesn't mean that the advice, that the bank planner has provided is bad advice. No. It can be 100% accurate advice and no different than what I would have. It's then the underlying product that is backing that advice. Insurance is insurance, you know, so, uh, but is that underlying product um, or investment or investment platform backing that advice the best thing for the client or the best thing for the bank? And if that planner has certain KPIs to meet based on product, product retention, putting people in the product, etc., that's when there's a conflict. Yeah. Um, not necessarily. Uh, there's plenty of bank planners that I'd happily hire here, and I'll just have to re-engage them and retrain them on what our industry is actually about. Yeah. Brainwash them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brain. No, actually get them out of the brainwashed baseball. Re- so. Re-brainwash. Isn't that what I told you once yeah, about five or so, four years ago? <laughs> well, do you want to tell that story, I guess? You come from uh, a bank? I guess uh, two and a half years before I started work here, uh, which is, geez, almost six years ago now. Oh, my God, I'm getting old. Um, 
Yeah, you are. Tone, one of Tone's very first uh, pieces of, of advice was uh, to build up my knowledge base and my experience through the bank um, before coming across and realising how true advice is pieced together. Um, and I, I guess it's probably been more of a, a realisation now that, oh my God, like how we provide advice to clients today is completely different to what I learned uh, back then. And the reason for that is where a lot of these new orphaned clients were. So for most people that don't know, <coughs> um, most of the banks, I think NAB's just the last one with their financial planning business Westpac, Westpac or no, no, they've got rid of MLC, or the so they're, they're <coughs> selling off Godfrey Pembroke and yeah. they're disbanding a um, Apogee and that. Yeah. So they're getting rid of their financial planning businesses and leaving clients orphaned. So I've had the pleasure of of picking up a couple of clients and having a look at their um, existing sure. advice. Westpac, yeah. yeah, existing advice and being shocked at, at what I've seen. And but didn't they just get a letter from Westpac saying, we no longer look after you, go find someone? Pretty much. <laughs> beyond it's, me. It's, it's, and it's pretty scary when you've, you've previously seen a person for a number of years um, and then all of a sudden they're, they're not allowed to and, and you're not allowed to sort of seek additional assistance from them. Um, but when you look, have a look at the underlying product, it's... It's so, in some respect, it's so convoluted to keep it simple um, that you think, well, it completely makes sense as to why we are in, in, in the state that we're in. And I'm thankful for these people that they've sought... Advice. Uh, advice, <laughs> yeah. yeah, because otherwise it sort of leaves it sort of out in the lurch. And, and You've yeah. got someone who's got hundreds of thousands of dollars that they entrusted uh, to a planner through the bank might never have seen that planner after that was put in place, but they've got hundreds of thousands of dollars, and all of a sudden they receive a letter saying, yeah, we no longer look after you, go, uh, good luck with life. Yep. And, you know, I, ju I just think that's poor. Poor. I was going to use a, a, <laughs> well, let's, a different let, word. Let's talk, let's talk about how we do it differently, and let's talk about a client coming in um, mm. and how they're set up, because we use products. There's no, there's no doubt about that, but it's the last part of the advice, I guess. It comes down to that strategy and how we set them up, so... Um, one aspect, and, and I'm going to touch, touch on a, a recent experience of mine um, where two clients have come in to discuss everything that they've set up over the years, um, which was not wrong at all, fundamentally. But when you look at it from a bird's eye view, it looks like a bowl of spaghetti. Um, and when, when I can't make sense of it, I'm pretty sure the client can't make sense of it. The, they'd read into various um, uh, various forms of media to, to build a strategy for themselves and it still hadn't worked. The individual bank accounts, um, investment plans and, and investment structures that they'd had put together themselves weren't at all terrible, that in, in some respects fantastic, but they were thinking too far ahead, not for themselves, and trying to, I use the expression, trying to, to cut your nose to spite your face in a, rever in a bit of a reverse order. You can't do everything. Trying to save money to get the same result. Yes, trying, that's, that's exactly right. Mm. Um, so in a state of self-diagnosis rather than going to the doctor. <laughs> and, and, and I guess, and, and I guess the- Dr. Google. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Dr. Google is, is, 
is, is a pretty sort of detrimental thing when you go down the rabbit hole. Um, but they still sought my help. They're still wanting assistance and guidance in putting that together. I can fundamentally see how much they can save and put together over the, over the next three years that they couldn't otherwise see. Don't need to look at what products they're using and how they structure their bank accounts. It's, it's illogical to think it that way, but the cost that they were going to in order to try and see, achieve the same outcome was just wasn't there, like, yep. if, if that makes sense. So I, I think that's, that's a bit of an experience for me. Like, and, and for that purpose, it doesn't really matter what they have in superannuation or, or what insurances they have, despite the fact that they were completely overinsured, had many uh, inadequate policies. Um, you know, it, it's, they did all the right things, but the outcome didn't suit their goals, yep. didn't suit their strategy. I think what's one of the things that sort of comes out of that, Paul, is that when you've got um, coming out of the Royal Commission, Jamie, that um, you know the industry was basically born out of product sales, um, and the reason why people go to the DIY books and to Dr. Google and all the rest of it is because they're thinking that the advice they get is not worth paying for because mm. the person is just going to try and sell them a product. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's correct. You know, so they go to these deals. Why would I pay somebody to flog me a product? Uh, whereas that if they go and actually get proper strategic advice, that can be worth so much more to them in the end. You know, in the end result. So, I think that what comes from that is that our industry people go to these DIYs, which I just think some of it is just rubbish advice, personally. Uh, but they go to them on the scheme. Well, I can do this myself, and then they fall in traps and. You know, we've had instances where clients were prepared to walk away from industry super funds um, insurance claims because the industry fund said no to them. And you know, $420,000 later, when they've come to us and we've got them a payout of four hundred twenty rather than twenty, um, that's because, oh, they said no. Whereas we've turned around and said, well, hold on, they've got it wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they had to pay for that advice. Uh, but I think they're three hundred and you know seventeen thousand dollars better off as a result of actually paying for that advice, and and that's the idea of actually using an expert, somebody that had nothing to do with any product. That was just us charging a fee to get a claim done and get it done properly, uh, in the benefit of the client. So that had nothing to do with product. But if somebody comes in and they want to grow their wealth in the future, that's going to be about investment. Now, investment could be in stocks, it could be in um, you know, property, it could be in ETFs, it could be in managed funds, um, but, um, you know, it could be in property. But the basis of it is that when you're coming in and you're in fear of somebody selling you a product, it all comes down to the strategy. So when somebody comes in, we're talking growth, we have to work out what their risk tolerance is. We have to work out what suits their risk tolerance. We have to work out, is it going to be a mixture of Australian shares, international shares, fixed interest, government well, bonds, well, you've property? Had a, you've had a client that's come in and I guess the first statement was, I've been told I should put all my money into this. Do you like that? Yeah, I actually, I, I, I know who you're talking about then. Sorry, I had a bit of a blank stare on my yeah. face, so for those who can't see it. But, 
Yeah, he, I mean, he is in the process of selling his business for an eight-figure sum. We're talking a huge amount of money, and he's a very successful man. And he's built up that business uh, from scratch, and he's done very well for himself. Um, you know, good family, uh, great business, you know, and he's a hard worker, there's no yeah. doubt in that. And he came in and he said to me, well, went to a stockbroker and they just said I should just go and use buy Vanguard's um, Australian Equity Fund. What do you think of that? I suppose you're going to say no. And I said, no, absolutely not. He goes, well, my property guy just reckons I should just buy 10 properties and just live off the income from that. What do you think about that? And I said, if that suits your purpose, it's, you know, then that's fine. Uh, and then he made the comment, I suppose you're just going to try and sell me a managed fund. And I looked at him and said, absolutely not. And I think one of the things is, is when you consider that statement from a real well-to-do individual who has been very successful in life, his perception of our industry is we are going to try and sell him something. And what I explained to him is, because he said to me, do I dislike Vanguard? And I said, no, we've, we've actually got a lot of funds with Vanguard. Um, I don't dislike them at all. But my job is not to talk about a product or buy uh, property. My job is to make sure that he achieves the goals he wants with that. So as an example, what does he want? So rather than me saying, here's a product, put your money into this, it's a case of, well, what are your goals? What do you actually want? Because is it income-based? Is it growth-based? What is it? Yeah, so basically, if, if, you know, if he wants 20% returns year in, year out, um, does he understand he's potentially putting 40 or 50% of his capital at risk in a major downturn? And I, and I think when you talk about that risk of having that much money um, and losing 40, 50%, then I guess 10,000 in your super fund and losing that 40% risk, it's a lot different. Oh, $10,000 in your super fund <laughs> and losing $4,000 is a month is a month's net salary. Yeah. You know, so it's um, having $20 million and going and losing 40%, that's a, that's a lifetime that can never be made up. Yeah. No, we're putting it at risk. I mean, you, but unfortunately when markets go down and people got that much money, they'll tend to panic and sell out at the wrong time. But I think, I think it's more the case of that my conversation with him is, and he's a very intelligent man, is purely about um, what is it you want? So off that, if you only want to earn an income uh, you know, after tax of four or $500,000 a year, because you've got no mortgage, you've got no debts, his kids are adults, um, and that's all you actually want, well then you don't need to be in 20% returns per year. You, you, can, you can go and buy you know, three or four investment properties if you want. You can have a step Vanguard ETF. You can have a mixture of everything. But what is the potential risk you want to take yep. in respect to getting the return you want? So if all he wants is 500 grand a year after tax, you know, on, on $20 million, that's realistically a low risk balanced investor. Yep. You know, so it only needs 40% realistically, uh, if he doesn't want to eat the capital, 40% in growth assets and the other 60% in defensive assets. You know, it's, it's not rocket science, but He's walked in here expecting us to sell him a product because he's seen his real estate guys tried to sell him a product. <laughs> $20 million worth of product and he's seen the stockbroker who said share, share, shares and go figure. So, and if he walked into a bank planner, it might be the same thing, but it's about the strategy and where, where he ends up putting parts of his money or all of his money, etc., still comes down to what he does, but it's about the strategy and it's about the long-term advice and the long-term view that is actually taken on that. So 
you know, he, he's, the funds he's talking about, a 40% loss is a bit different than, you know, uh, Josh's super fund, you know, that he took a 40% hit. Yeah. So it's... Um, so I think it's interesting when you say that as well. It's, you know, we, we can, when, when we're talking about product, property might be of interest absolutely. to him and form part of that. We're not getting kickbacks off. We're, we're going out and finding that to suit them. So we're not getting paid. Well, we use, well, we're using actual people who actually, that's their area of expertise to go and mm. find it. We, yeah. We're not recommending the property, mm. but we use the experts who do go and find, recommend and source and negotiate on behalf of the client. Yeah. So, and I mean, I think, I think that's vitally important that you actually, once again, um, you know, from an apartment level, as you know, we love Gurners and we love Ari and we love the Mosaic guys um, up in Queensland. But at the end of the day, we only love them, we only introduce to them because of a reputable property research group that we've used who have never let our clients down. Yep. So we'll actually happily recommend our clients to them. You know, when it comes to, um, you know, investing in shares, you know, we, even if we're doing it through portfolios of ETFs and made up of different blended managed ETFs accounts. and different managed accounts and things like that, you know, we've, we've got all the managers coming and knocking on our door, but we're very strict on our strategy. We don't, we don't uh, favour any one over another. It all comes down to strategy and fees that are charged to the clients. It's got, you know, nothing to do with, oh, that BDM gave a really, you know, great story and is a nice person. It's, is this, you know, for the client? Yeah. Um, so once again, it's all about strategic advice. And I think that was what was hammered home in the uh, Royal Commission, uh, was about the advice that's actually provided. And even when we're dealing with, you know, SMEs, uh, Paul and I have had vast experience on that. We got, you know, a few SME clients where we actually do no investment advice for them. Mm. And we just uh, charge them a fee and sit on their advisory board and help them actually grow their business, use our experience, you know, and our expertise and our knowledge, plus our contacts um, of helping them grow their business uh, by sitting on their advisory on, on board. On that tone, question, and, and I saw... Uh, a topic recently I think I was scrolling on LinkedIn do you ever think that you could provide advice without delivering an SOA a statement of advice I should say I'm sorry no never no do you no, ever... no well it depends I mean if, if it's if it's if it's financial advice I mean could I without without the use of a product yeah, but, well, no, you still have to produce an SOA if I'm providing advice without the use of a product you still have to and that's, that's what okay there's two thoughts of that. You have the direct groups who say, I don't give you any advice, you tell me what you want and here's the insurance product, fill out the application. And I think Hands that's- clean, I didn't touch anything. Yeah, I, I, no <laughs> advice, no advice. And we know that's a load of crap because yeah. they force clients into it and it is advice and they still receive commissions for yeah. doing that. But they don't have to produce an SOA. From my perspective, there's no way known I would put a client into any product, including an insurance product, unless there is an SOA there and unless it is a premier contract, unless the client fully is aware and understands what they have, sums insured are correct, what they're paying for. So the, the answer probably more to the point, Paul, is I would never do it without providing a statement of advice mm -hmm. because I do my job properly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... No, I agree. Maybe maybe they don't have to be a hundred pages long. Maybe one day in the future, hopefully that they're more clear and precise to the client to read over a few pages. I think our claims track record speaks for itself in respect right. to the advice we provide. So um, hopefully we can see. Boys, thank you very much for today. 
Um, I think it's a topic, as I said, there's a lot going on in the media and was we wanted to put sort of our side on it um, and also the way that we help our clients and the way that we invest. And the, the clients listening to this will know that it is that strategy based and, and they've seen that from you guys. So thank you very much for your You're time welcome. today and uh, hopefully I have one of these next week. Thank you. It'll be my last one for a couple of weeks. <laughs> it will be too. <laughs> yeah, so thank okay. you. Thanks a lot, Jamie.